is Endabusi here, bringing you another episode of Reframed by us at Mustard. Reframed is a content series in which we, an Africa-focused venture agency, explore topics with interesting guests from around the world with the intent of reframing our current thinking about ventures, brands, and Africa. We drop a new episode every Wednesday, which we would love for you to follow on Spotify, Apple, or your podcast player of choice. Furthermore, if you resonate with our podcast, please do give us a five-star rating and review and share it with others who you think might share your thoughts. Doing this will help us grow and work towards our broader mission at Mustard, which is to build better brands and better perceptions for Africa. For now, I'll leave you with today's episode. So, uh, cool. Uh, Mark, thank you very much for jumping on um, onto, onto Reframed. Um, I always just starting off in terms of how we met. So actually, we don't, in terms of people I've done some recent podcasts with in this kind of uh, second iteration of Reframed, you're probably the person, at the moment, you're the person I know the least. But we did have a very engaging conversation where we did meet uh, at your April Dream VC event. That was an event for current and aspiring Africa-focused investors. And I came along because I got to know, I think, Cindy, your co-founder initially. Um, she reached out on LinkedIn. Um, and we thought we were both doing Gene VC Mustard, doing some pretty interesting things. So um, thanks for jumping on with, uh, you know, based on that. Um, and I think I'll just quickly say that basically you and Cindy founded Dream VC in 2021. To, to my knowledge, it is to grow and shape the kind of VC industry in Africa. You've got a very strong kind of mission and purpose around that, which we're going to speak about in a moment. Um, you've had over 170 fellows pass through your your program, essentially which consists of African investment training since 2021. Um, and yeah, you yourself for, you know, for, for over five years, well over five, six years now, I've been working in VC in the industry. So you were working in there. You went to start Dream VC in 2021 during a pandemic. Tell me what was, give us a bit of an insight about, about one, tell us more about Dream VC from your mouth. Um, tell us about its mission, I guess. And I guess, you know, that mission and that purpose is probably going to be linked to you. So, so tell us more about VC and, and Dream VC and its its mission. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I think uh, just speaking from personal experience, it's really fascinating to meet people who always ask the so what questions. Mm -hmm. And I think you're definitely one one in a dozen for sure. You're not even rarer. You're one of the few people who actually asks why is something happening, not just what is actually going on. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why it's always really engaging to jump on chats. But to give some idea on Dream VC, so I think Dream VC by itself, I'd have to describe it as some kind of African-focused investor accelerator meet venture advisory firm or an accelerator and venture advisory firm. And the reason I say that is because as an organization, our main focus is on creating essentially bespoke, largely unprecedented training programs and providing innovation support services for emerging investors and key investment stakeholders, ecosystem builders all across the African venture capital value chain. So programs tailored towards junior talent, programs tailored towards senior talent, programs tailored towards corporates looking to move into VC, the entire batch. And I think for us, a, a big mission is one, increasing transparency and access within the VC space in Africa but also just professionalizing the way VC runs today. Mm. So I think, uh, for lack of a better word, it's been very incidental, the growth of VC up until now. Okay. It's been something where we've seen an influence of foreign VCs coming to Africa and actually building up the venture capital space. We've seen some individuals moving from angel investing towards venture capital, but it hasn't been as structured. And mm. that's perfectly fine because we didn't see the typical evolution of VC as you saw in the US over 50 years yeah. or in Europe over 50 years. It's been about 20 years for African VC. But, you know, we, we're basically trying to make sure that that growth, as VC grows, it grows in the right way. Mm. So it doesn't end up with a situation where we have a lot of capital, but it's flowing from the wrong hands to the wrong people. But rather that there is very much an intentional approach to VC and people are using best practice. Yeah. Because I think at the moment, we're still not quite there. And the best example I can give of this is when, you know, you and I were speaking about VC in different parts of the world. Mm -hmm. You think about VC in the US, you think about VC in Southeast Asia. You talk about these giant professional funds. Yeah. But when you talk about VC in Africa, almost inevitably someone brings up the impact lens. Yeah. Why? 
Yeah. Is it because a fan must have an impact lens? No, it's because we have this preconceived notion that, oh, well, you're in Africa because you want to have some impact. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't necessarily need to be the case, right? Yeah. Economic development by itself is a very interesting aim. Mm. So, so we're definitely going to touch on impact because that's pretty much one of the things that we spoke about when, when, when we had our discussion. But, but let me... Let me go to something you said. You said, when I 100% agree with you in this, like um, VC in Africa, the growth has been quite incidental, even even probably how it came about, to be honest. If we think about, I would probably say, hmm, I would probably say it probably started, as you said, uh, some of the earliest, more public deals I can think of is like PAGA, I think in like 09 with some angel investors from the US and otherwise. And then, you know, really kicked off, you know better than me, I would say kicked off and became pseudo-professional maybe or, or professional professional you want to put it from maybe 2018 2017 maybe at some of its earliest but tell me um tell me two things tell me one thing that you say with this incidental growth of how it's grown tell me one thing that you'd say um has worked well for vc in africa with this incidental approach and maybe as you know because you're trying to bring in best practices maybe maybe one or two things that in particular that you would say you dream vc is trying to rectify you know uh, with its program yeah it's a good point i think what's worked well is that this time around as compared to perhaps in the 2010s yeah. or in the 2000s the idea of africa rising narrative actually has some proof behind it okay so you often see a lot of this uh, global talk you have from Europe or from Asia or from the US about a huge demographic advantage that India had, that China has, that uh, to a large extent African markets have. But that's just something that people talk about. That's not actually practical. You know, the fact that there are 1.3 billion people on the continent doesn't necessarily mean there's 1.3 consumers you can actually reach with any kind of solution, mm -hmm. regardless of how mm -hmm. accessible you make it. Right. So I think for us, it's kind of seeing evidence of the Africa rising narrative. You see unicorns, billion dollar companies, which people usually associate with a successful private yeah, industry yeah. being built, scaled and raised within Africa and then scaling abroad. I think that story from scaling from Africa abroad, mm -hmm. as we saw from some first movers like Eroco TV or Blue Chip, for example, technologies and a couple of others, mm -hmm. but now being very tangible as a path. You know, Nigeria to US, Nigeria to Europe, Ghana to Europe, etc. That is being interesting. Mm. So that's one proof of the Africa rising narrative that's been working very well. And another is this idea of African companies choosing to scale or franchise or grow in Africa okay. rather than abroad. Okay. So that suggests the fact that they are now startups tangibly thinking, oh, how can I go from Ghana to Nigeria to Kenya? rather than from Ghana to Silicon Valley mm. or Lagos in Nigeria to Silicon Valley or Nairobi to London, the fact that people are thinking of this shift means that they realize that there's enough of a consumer base and a business base to actually purchase and collaborate with startups now on the continent, which is all a good sign. Mm. I think when it comes to rectifying, on our end, obviously, we focus on the venture side of the equation. Okay. There's a lot of people trying to improve startups, trying to incubate startups, trying to accelerate startups, trying to fund startups. And I think in that sense, it's not so much a case where any one individual or firm can really move the needle. But what we see in the VC space is absolutely different. It's still very much Wild West. Okay. You have in some countries, angels who are writing very small checks and taking 50, 60% of a business, thinking that they're going to make a fantastic return on it, but actually in the process, yeah. killing that business yeah. or preventing them from ever raising again. You have in other cases where as soon as you have any kind of financial troubles on a macroeconomic level, you might recall the whole Naira fluctuation yeah. point when it was uh, no longer pegged uh, or supported on a government yeah. level. At that point, a lot of investors just said, oh, you know what, I'm never going to invest in Nigeria again. But that's not the right sentiment. You know, the currency fluctuation is something that a professional investor knows how to deal with, mm. diversify your risks diversify your portfolio exposure. You have some uh, companies you work with that potentially should move their business model to accept USD rather than just local currency so that you have some variation there. There's things you can do. It's not just a, oh, zero sum game. I'm in it or I'm not in it. This is working or this is not working. Mm -hmm. So I think we see a lot of uh, FOMO driven actions where investors are not very professional in terms of just jumping to what seems practical or what seems attractive mm. so that they can then close their funds or go and invest faster. And we see a lot of, a lot of investors also um, being a bit overly risk exposed okay. where they first overexpose themselves to risk and then they over retract themselves from that risk. And I think the best example of this I can give is what we saw in 2022 
when there was a number of funds that had no presence at all in Africa, mm -hmm. no experience of investing in Africa, didn't even co-invest with African funds before, just rushed in to invest in African deals, mm -hmm. um, didn't make some money on one or two deals, and immediately cancelled their entire African strategy. Mm -hmm. It's like going to university, having a bad first day and saying, you know what, I'm not going to get a degree anymore because this is not for me, right? Mm -hmm. This is the same kind of mentality. So that's what needs to change. And professionalizing me means both professionalizing the domestic, local investors yeah. to understand how to bring in international investors, how to collaborate, how to compete with them, but also professionalizing international investors who are looking at Africa to see this not as a quick win and not as an impact story, but as a tangible other market, mm. which you might consider with as much gusto as you consider investing in California or in New York mm. or in London or anywhere else. So... <laughs> Interestingly, and we're gonna, and I'm really, really happy on because you bring up so many part, so many points that I just want to go. Actually, let's we could just. I knew we'd be people who could probably just talk around two or three points and then and then go off. But so I want to touch on just one thing there, and maybe open up another channel there. You, 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 you speak of obviously we know 2022, uh, even this 2023, as we can see from some African deal numbers, is it's, it's very likely we're gonna have. Quite a quite a decline, right? Um, in 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 VC in total VC deal numbers, right? Or, or kind of VC VC investment numbers. Um, you spoke about, and I a hundred percent agree with you. The the let me not say the lack of professionalism, but in essence, almost like the FOMO led investments that has really given birth to to you know. Um, um, I mean, I would say, and I'll say this statement and ask it. Um, has given birth to some of the dramatic numbers that have come in in, in in the Africa VC space. So so probably the biggest number we saw in terms of equity deals was in 2021, right? 2021. And that was and that's that's the same pretty much everywhere. I would say pretty much everywhere around the world. It's definitely the same. I've I checked out Israel, checked out US. That is the same. 2022 was really uh, 2021, excuse me, was really the peak of um of 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 investment deals. So my question would say uh, my question to you is this. Um, I've got two questions, but I'm going to start off with this one. Um, do you think um, if if kind of VC, not just in 2021, but may... So, okay, question. Do you think VC, not just in 2021, at that peak of 5.24 billion, but do you think even maybe earlier, 2018 was 1.16 billion, 2019 was 2 billion, 2020 dipped a bit to 1.43, and then that high of 5.2 5 in 2021. Do you think that actually if we corrected these numbers for, you know, um, um, and removed FOMO, if, if the FOMO was not as high, if maybe the impact story was not as high, if it was purely based on returns, do you think that African VC, the, the industry, would be much smaller than it was and maybe than it is now? So, you know, maybe sub a billion? Or maybe it would sustainably be at sub two billion. Like, 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 I know that's a difficult one to ask, but but it, the only reason why I ask it is because I completely agree. Uh, maybe I'm extrapolating something I agreed with in terms of FOMO has been a driving force in in African VC. So, so maybe you might say to not not to that degree. Maybe you might say agree to that degree. But essentially, where would you say? Difficult question. Um, African VC numbers over the last seven years. Would you say they've been? five, seven years, would you say they've been quite accurate in your opinion? Or do you, do you say that they'd been inflated and, and actually the true value on professionalism would have, would have been a, a lot lower? I would say they have been inflated, but I'm going to be controversial and I'm going to disagree with you for why they are inflated. Yeah. So I think they're inflated not necessarily because of FOMO. I think they're inflated because of mega deals. Okay. So what you tend to see in Africa, which is not so much a case in almost any other continent, is a scenario where 10 or 20 transactions can account for more than 50% of mm. the deal volume in a particular okay. year. Ope, Pompe, I look, think, back in... Yeah, so for example, you know, you mentioned, I think Ope had like a $400 million dollar round yeah. and Pompe, what, $100 million? Something like that, uh, yeah. If you compare that against how there's some countries who might have 200 transactions, but these are transactions at 100K or 200K, does that mean that those countries are unhealthy? Mm. Not necessarily. That might mean that those countries actually have a very healthy, thriving early stage ecosystem that in a few years could be very big. But at the same time, because the total tracking of numbers is just one figure, we're tracking, well, two, we're tracking number of deals, we're tracking total size of those deals, okay. right? We don't actually account for those outliers. So if you account for the outliers, 
then you see this story where every year deal volume either goes up when we see a collection of major mega deals happening like in 2021, 2022, or seemingly go down as we see in 2023, even though the absolute number of small ticket sizes has broadly been on an upwards trajectory. So if you look at 2012, 2011 or so, there were less than 100 deals, 100 deals that anyone, any VC could track, probably less than 100 million total across the country. Mm -hmm. Now, economic situation is much, much better in a number of countries, in Egypt, in Tanzania, in Uganda, in Kenya, in Nigeria, in South Africa, even with all the macroeconomic issues, mm. they're actually all much closer to a healthier startup market. Okay. So in theory, it's logical to assume we'll see a much larger amount of funding going there. And we do. We see multiple hundreds of millions in some cases. So I don't think it's so much of putting a number on 1 billion is optimal or 2 billion is optimal because with the same you know approach, I could say 20 billion is also optimal. Mm. It just depends on uh, whether we are counting for those large deals or not. Mm. I would actually look at the health of an ecosystem by the number of deals yeah. that are happening, the frequency of those deals, yeah. and the composition of those deals. Okay. Because, for example, something that I noticed which was quite interesting was Africa, I think, is the only continent in the world where debt deals account for a smaller amount of funding than equity deals. Okay. If you look at Europe, you have $100 billion debt deals or leveraged buyouts where a major corporate buyers, buys out another major corporate. Mm. But we don't see as much of that potentially because major corporates haven't been as connected to the startup space before. But actually now, after we had what was recently this bull run where a lot of companies got very large, they got inflated, potentially got quite high valuations they've suddenly got on the radar of corporates. Mm. So corporates who potentially before thought that startups weren't worthy of even competing with them, corporates such as MFS, corporates such as the telco giants, Airtel, yeah. MTN, Liquid, corporates like the big banks, Stanbic and Ecobank, I don't think any of them are now in any kind of delusion that they can ignore the startup space. It's either collaborate with the startup space, buy into that startup space, invest in that startup space, or be overtaken by said startup space. Mm. And they're all quite smart people. So the vast majority of them are acquiring startups, investing in startups, and leveraging the fact that as commercial businesses that are actually part of the lifeblood of industry, they have a massive cash advantage. They're mostly profitable. They have a cash balance at the end of every year, regardless of whether it's a recessionary year yeah. or not. Yeah. So even as these startups are starting to struggle, corporates are going to win out. So I don't think we're actually on a path towards a decline, decline, decline in funding. I think it will pick up again once we start to see a bit more positive sentiment. It's usually very cyclical in VC. You see a bit of a rise in funding, a bit of a low, a bit of a rise, a bit of a trough again. But what I, I do envision seeing, which would be very interested, is actually seeing for the first time ever on a very large scale, both African and international corporates collaborating with startups, buying startups, merging with startups mm. on a much larger scale than what we've seen before. Mm. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Even though for some founders, they might be you know, thinking this is bad, you know, you have a giant bank come and buy out your business, you're no longer running it. But it's actually a good thing because it means on a systematic level, established business is starting to see startups as a tangible yeah. pipeline. Yeah. And once you see that, then you can see a future where any startup can see an exit opportunity of selling to a bank in the same way as they see it in the UK or in Germany or in mm. the US. And that's very, very healthy. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. And and I mean, I, 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 I again, there's a there's quite a few interesting things you, you, you uh, mentioned there. One of the things I do definitely agree with is um, um, we need to see, um, and, and that will be a healthy thing to see, because um, you speak of, you spoke ages ago or, or a moment ago about the Africa rising narrative. And I think that um, when not VCs, but when um, established businesses, especially to about banks and telcos, right? Established African businesses start to do acquisitions, right? And, you know, I would say large scale acquisitions. I'm sure there's acquisitions going on at the moment, just kind of behind closed doors. But when they do really large scale acquisitions, acquisitions where both parties are happy, i.e. the investors and the founders are making really sizable returns and actually the bank or telco or fill in the blank large kind of entity in Africa is happy with what they paid for it. I think that would be the start of, um, you know, at least in my mind, it would be the start of me saying, actually, this is a... I wouldn't even say maturing. This is becoming a sustainable and far less risky um, 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 
uh, ecosystem, should I say, right? I do want to talk about, essentially, that is talking about exits. I do want to talk about that in a moment. But I do want to ask, mm-hmm. I want to touch on this part first, and feel free to say both, but professionalism. Because even when we're talking about um, getting larger companies involved, when we actually, to, to be fair, when we talk about debt deals, I didn't know, as you said, that there were more, that there were, you know, uh, in, terms of, in terms of debt to equity deal ratio, it was very low um, in, in Africa. Um, I, I think it makes sense. Um, I would assume there's more mid-sized, you know, and kind of more, you know, mid-sized larger companies that are, re- are requiring debt in, um, you know, the Europe and the US. I also think they've got obviously more established debt markets and otherwise. But all this thing we're talking about in terms of, you know, domestic banks or African domestic banks and and and, and foreign entities doing deals, we're talking about like this 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 notion you about of professionalism is going to have to happen first, right? Um, so my question to you is just with your dream VC hat on, of course, with your lens on, do you think professionalism needs to happen first on the domestic, with the domestic investors, um, or the foreign investors, or do you not see it as, uh, as chicken egg? You just see both, both entities. Um, yeah. Who do you think needs to professionalize mm. first? And I'll just put a little touch on it. I, I guess I, behind that question very quickly is my thinking that. I always feel like um, the Marines or the first people in to go and suss out a situation or opportunity in a region should be the people from that region, right? And I guess if you're agreeing that professionalism, both with within you know in-country VC investors and obviously foreign investors, is not yet there, is there an onus on you guys, or is there thinking from you guys that that you need to work on making one, um, shall I say, class? professional first or do you not see it that way it's an interesting question i would say to an extent you have to concurrently work with all parties and you have to concurrently work with all parties not necessarily because that's the optimal scenario i think the optimal scenario would be you first start with mostly professionalizing domestic investors across african markets Mm -hmm. because if you think about it just from a very simple angel stage to IPO stage growth of a typical startup, Mm -hmm. the biggest challenge right now is that there's an enormous pipeline of businesses that never make it past the angel stage because there's just not enough of individuals investing in those businesses. Mm. But that's not because the lack of capital is there. There are plenty of individuals, millions of people who hold land, property, liquid assets, cars, second homes, uh, even relatively large real estate holdings. They just have no allocation to startups who are African based in Africa, investing in Africa as well. So I think that challenge is one thing that should be a, a key priority. But the risk of just focusing on this group, so, you know, create 10,000 African angel investors without thinking about what comes next, is that actually then you end up entrenching the position of the incumbent. So I think one of the issues you often see with interventions Mm. in African markets, and I think we're also very conscious of this as well, it's constantly something we're kind of trying to balance around, is interventions often come with a lot of resources focused on one particular challenge. Mm. For example, you see a billion dollars allocated towards solving one particular issue. Yeah. You see hundreds of million dollars of FDI flowing towards one particular project, which is great. And then that project looks amazing on paper, but then upstream and downstream for that, you have complete mess. You have bureaucracy, you have corruption, you have terrible implementation. And then this core amount, which could have been really valuable, ends up failing. Mm. Right? And that's, I think, a major problem in the VC space as well. So, for example, right now we see a lot of initiatives to train emerging fund managers. Fantastic, right? Great idea. Let's create more African fund managers. I'm 100% on board with that. Even we're trying to support that as we can with capacity building and training and education and social capital. But what's the downside? Well, you create hundreds of people who need capital, Mm. but then you don't create the capital allocators for those hundreds of people. Mm -hmm. So then that just means there are now 10 times as many people asking the IFC for the same. (laughs) So as a result, This makes the position of the capital allocator much more powerful. You're basically making their job easier for them, mm-hmm. but you're not actually seeing as much of a downstream impact. Mm. You create a thousand more fund managers, but only 10 of them end up closing. Mm-hmm. And then the 990 people that you've trained, they're not able to deploy that money. Mm. So you need to think about it in three ways. You need to have early stage investors, individuals actually who understand VC, who are investing on the side, 
potentially not working full-time in VC, but essentially being those operator investors you see day-to-day in the UK, in Europe, in Asia, in the US, the dentists, the engineers, the petroleum workers, who might put a bit of their pension funding or maybe a bit of their retirement savings towards startups. Mm -hmm. That's area one. Then you need to see a professionalizing of the actual VC market so that the VC market has enough talent to staff and launch and deploy and manage African funds. Mm. That means both junior all the way through to senior level. And then you need enough new capital allocators. Yeah. And I'm not saying that we suddenly need to create a billion dollars out of nowhere, right? Yeah. I'm not a politician. I'm, what I'm saying is that we just need to reallocate some capital that's not being very efficiently used towards VC. Mm. What you see in the US is you see government and both federal and state level recommendations for pension funds and insurance funds to allocate towards private equity or VC. Mm-hmm. They allocate that funding, a portion perhaps of a depository insurance fund towards a private equity fund. That private equity fund might invest in other VC funds and in startups directly. That money will then grow and allow the startup to grow and invest back into the economy. And then that money goes back to those employees who put it back into the pension fund. Mm -hmm. Every dollar goes through the economy three or four times. You don't need to consistently plug in more cash. Mm -hmm. What you see in the African story right now is often this. You see a African fund manager or maybe semi-African, half African team, half not African. Mm -hmm. They launch a fund. They get money 99% from abroad. If they fail, then everybody says, ah, they failed because they didn't have enough precedent. Africa is a terrible story. Don't invest in Africa. If they do succeed, then most of the winnings, 80% of the 100% profits in the typical 2080 distribution fund, 80% of those profits go abroad to the same international investors. And then they can choose. They might invest back in Africa. They might not. Mm. So even when we do see success stories of African funds, I think one of the reasons why we haven't seen as much of a precedent of African funds saying, hey, we've returned 100x to our investors, we've returned 20x to our investors, is that even when you have returned 10x to your investors, it doesn't look as good when your investors are the depository insurance fund of some random town in the US, rather than maybe a depository insurance fund of Uganda Mm. or the South African sovereign wealth fund. But it's not necessarily the fund's fault. Because that sensitizing, that education 100%. needs to happen on the institutional level as well. 100%. Because they just don't want to invest in PE or VC. Mm. I think the saddest thing I saw was I saw a couple of CVCs, corporate venture capital funds launched by African corporates, mm. who in theory have a lot of influence and can shape the industry. And then these CVCs are writing checks to deals in Dubai, to deals in Latin America, to deals in the US. You know, those markets are already well saturated with capital. You're not moving the needle. Yeah. But instead, they could be investing in deals in South Africa and Kenya and Ethiopia and Ghana and Rwanda and actually making a massive impact and creating a market for themselves in the process. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things we're working towards with sensitizing. So, so, I mean, what I hear from you, and I've, got, I've definitely got a follow-up question, you know, um, that's basically what I'm saying. What I'm hearing from you is, I'd, and let me put it this way, you have not said this, but I think from what you have said, what I get is, um, we actually need to, let's say, professionalize or stimulate the local African states, different African states market first. Um, and, and, and the reason I get that from you is even, even your last point in terms of, you know, put in, put in money, you know, larger, larger institutions in, in, in around Africa, putting their money into, Okay, apportion it right. Obviously, VCs are wherever wherever it is in the world. It's a risky investment, but apportioning um, the money and putting it into some VC deals to see if they get the eighty percent profits, as opposed to you know uh, um, Tom Dick Harry. Well, essentially, otherwise. creating an African LP class. Correct. Right? The limited partner class that basically doesn't doesn't exist. And 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 this is my question: Is this not the biggest issue? Because there are two things you brought up. Um, is it you know would you agree that that the biggest issue or do you would you think that the biggest issue in african vc at the moment are two things well one thing really which leads to something else one is as you said there is not a there's not an lp you know a, a large enough lp class that is domestic in africa and as long as that doesn't exist especially and correct me if i'm wrong to my knowledge um, the biggest investors, the biggest LPs are still DFIs, you know, like the IFC that you brought up and otherwise. So, so two things. Um, if that, you know, if DFIs are the biggest LPs, as well as DFIs having a, should I say, 
um, generally speaking, a, a, a return on investment that is, um, or return need that is less um, commercial and more, I would say, um, kind of optical and otherwise, you know, uh, kind of stories and otherwise. Um, you know, so therefore things may be, you know, uh, being the largest LPs, they may direct the market in the way that you said, in terms of, you know, uh, imagine, I would say fintech is is not a surprise that fintech is one of the biggest investments because, you know, a sustainable development goal is, um, uh, uh, um, the you know, banking the unbanked or kind of access to finance, the financial services. So, you know, if we have such a large DFI block, is that an indication that African VC is still nascent? It's not yet commercially ready. Um, um, and then I'm, I'm going to tack on the end of that very quickly because that's the main question. But but even that thing about the narratives, right? Um, because I feel like there's a there's an issue around narratives which stems from this. If I just think if I'm a GP and maybe that's just me, if I've had a successful fund and I've returned you know uh, profits, not just obviously to myself but to investors, and my management fee hasn't gone to waste in that respect, even if I returned it to um, Tokyo, right, Japan, surely the notion that I have returned it. And that narrative in the press is more valuable than maybe the counter narrative somebody may push out, which is the money hasn't stayed in Africa, right? Um, so my biggest question is, is the, you know, the, the lack of LPs, especially the over prevalence of DFIs in, in, Africa, in African VC, is that the biggest issue that really actually indicates that this market is still nascent? Um, what would you say to that? So I think those two are really interesting statements because I would approach them a bit differently. Okay. I think on the point around DFIs, I think it's caused a lot of controversy, especially now when we saw a tide of money come in in 2020, 2021, 2022, that almost obscured how big DFIs were. Mm. And now that that tide has left, yeah, yeah, people yeah. have realized, oh, oh my God, like 50% of the projects in this country come from the, you know, uh, big foundations like Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation or DFC in the US mm. or BII, CDC in the UK or North Fund or Schwed Fund, yeah. etc. I think people are focusing on the wrong issue, okay. right? So DFIs are doing developmental work, yeah. but they shouldn't be the ones who are setting the trend for the VC space mm -hmm. because they have their own bubble. This is the developmental edge. There's a right. reason why DFIs don't mostly invest in the UK or in Europe because that's not where they would get the biggest impact trajectory. Mm -hmm. So for them, impact is very important. For them, you know, these numbers of metrics of socioeconomic uplifting is very important. Mm -hmm. VC is a different asset class altogether. In the US, in Asia, in Europe, VC grew up without that DFI presence. Mm -hmm. DFIs were just non-existent or completely not related to VC. VC is focused on private sector optimization, funding the latest innovations, mm -hmm. and helping them scale to be global businesses. Yeah. Whether DFIs are there or not is almost irrelevant. Yeah. So when I am asked often, oh, what, what should we do? Why are DFIs taking up all these deals? I almost feel like the answer should be, well, you should be thankful that DFIs are there because they actually make the market less risky for everybody else because they are not competing with the VC. They don't even really care about the VC. Yeah. The VC is just an implementation tool for them mm -hmm. for developmental aims. VC should eventually encompass a much larger VC and private equity are much, much larger industry than DFIs yeah. to the point where, again, they're obscured by the thousands of deals that are happening efficiently in the private market and DFIs can do their DFI thing. Mm -hmm. So I think DFIs, they play a very critical role. They definitely shouldn't go away. I think they're very good in terms of stabilizing the market anytime we see a downturn. Yeah. So when we see a pullback in 2020 with COVID coming yeah. around, DFIs were still there. When we see a pullback in 2023 with the VC getting a bit too hot, DFIs are still there mm -hmm. because they're not really affected and they can Correct. keep investing. Correct. And that's good. But I almost see them as a lower boundary. As for the second point on narratives, I think narratives is where it gets really controversial. Mm -hmm. So I think this is potentially the downside of the Africa rising narrative that I feel that many people position it as a us vs them. Yeah, yeah, I right? agree. Yeah. There is a lot of this feeling that because there was a obviously a very long history of exploitation yeah. of Africa for hundreds of years by international influence, 
is by international influence from mostly Europe or the US. Mm -hmm. They're um, also Eastern Europe and Asia to some extent. Yeah, I guess of course, of course, of course. For that as well. There is this uh, layer of, I feel like, nascent anger that comes up whenever there's a discussion of, oh, they benefited at the cost of yeah. us benefiting. Yeah. But I feel like that's not actually the issue, right? So as you said, in theory, if, for example, we had a Japanese fund or a Chinese fund or Korean fund that invested in African deals using Japanese or Korean or Chinese money, then had a really successful outcome. This African startup is very successful mm -hmm. and they get a profit of that success. That's fine. Right? No one should really care. Yeah. But I think because many funds, especially international funds, are very conscious of how it appears that mm. this money is leaving the ecosystem, they don't want to share this news. And because a lot of tech media wants to play into the Africa rising mm. narrative, they also don't want to share this news. Yeah. So in theory, if we had an African version of FT or Quartz or you know some kind of business publication that was on the same standard and everyone was look, reading into that with this objective pro free market approach, yeah. then everybody would celebrate every exit and maybe we'd see a lot less of these undisclosed deals <laughs> to an undisclosed buyer and more actual transactions, which would show how healthy the market is. Mm. But up until we kind of distance economics from politics or economics from society, yeah. that then we can't. Mm. Otherwise, every time you see something which is even potentially slightly controversial, take Andela, take Jumia, mm. take other deals or other startups that have been built through a mix of foreign and domestic talent, and immediately this whole question of whether it's an African startup or not brings people up in arms and yeah, everyone's angry yeah. and everyone's shouting. Right? Yeah. But that's almost, you know, it's almost childish. Why, why are we being so angry about something that's still a win for the ecosystem? 100%. In the long term, yeah, ideally 90% of the deals, 95% of the deals would be led by African founders investing, or African investors investing in African founders. But we're not there yet. Mm -hmm. So I feel like every little part, every part in the ecosystem has a role to play. And we shouldn't be trying to compete with each other, but collaborate a bit more. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you more. And and I think I really have to say well done, well done for saying that, because actually I have a lot of conversations with GPs and others um, about things like this. But we but but, you know, to be honest, you're the guy who's come on the podcast to say it, to be honest. I think some other people wouldn't wouldn't want to. So I absolutely commend you for that. I think that I think you're absolutely right with narratives. I think, you know, clearly, you know, the tech media in in and around African VC is a market in itself and it has a narrative in itself to uphold, which is, you know, hey, another somebody else came out of Y Combinator, somebody else has done a round, right? Um, let's quickly look for rounds and 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 you know not share necessarily anything that might not fit a narrative of of Af basically Africa rising in whichever area of vein or form, right? I also do think that there's a whole market of, in, there's a whole audience that is looking for that. Um, I mean, we found at times when we've put things out that, you know, at Mustard that have been, let's say what we might think would be honest, but definitely not following the narrative of, of necessarily Africa rising. And again, it's not Africa falling or the hopeless continent, which was the opposite that the economists put down. It's just more, Africa's still growing. Africa's still got a lot to do, right? Um, it, it, you know, you can see that it's just it's just not what what people want to hear. Um, and especially if you've got you know many other media publications pushing out um, the opposite, then afterwards, why not I listen to that? But 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 so so I agree with that. One thing that I would I almost want to bring you back to, especially based on this this you know what you said, which I hundred percent agree with because of narratives, is back to the DFI point. Because I 100% agree, yes, if you've got a, if you've got, let's say, almost like a flaw, you know, because of DFI interest, um, which again, nobody is saying is a, or somebody might be saying it's a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. DFIs, but, you know, I'm sure, I, I assume you know, but especially when I was looking at VC, um, I remember some of, the, some of the earliest hubs like iHub in Kenya um, and several other of these kind of, uh, um, essentially accelerators slash hubs, tech hubs, right? I remember doing a, you know, a research some time ago, you know, for, 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 for a client, um, when, when Mustard, you know, a bit back then the Charles had a, had a broader thing, broader remit as opposed to just building ventures, you know, basically looking at any tech hub that gave more than just office space, if it gave money, that money came from pretty much one UN department like without fail. 
so much so now after we kept seeing that when we then looked each round if it if it didn't have money it was just there by itself if it had money it was coming from this one un department and that has you know you always need a kickstart and ignition and i 100% agree that's great it's fine it's great that you know when it's oversaturated with too many deals the dfis can still be there when 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 the deals come away there's still a floor of dfis however however if a large chunk of the market bar a deal of ope or otherwise or something you know gargantuan that size if a large part of the market is still dfis who essentially get their money um as a mandate right whether it's if you talk about north fund it's it's obviously a mandate in norway that is their sovereign wealth fund if you talk about something like the ifc or the world bank it's a mandate from their members to actually get a certain percentage of um its member gdp per year given they get their money as a mandate and their their job is to develop and whilst develop um greatly mitigate risk and even show that there's an opportunity if they are still the biggest um um lp invests on a continent throwing it back to you now surely that means the continent vc is not yet there would you agree oh yeah i mean absolutely mm. but i don't think uh, at least i don't think as dream vc we're saying the vc market is there if the vc market was there we wouldn't be doing what we're doing right so Fine. a large aspect of capacity building is getting the market to the point where you know, a US VC walks into the room, a Singaporean VC walks into the room, a French VC walks into the room, and let's say a Kenyan VC walks into the room, and none one of them is looking at somebody else as a pity case or an impact. Story. Yeah. But rather they're thinking, oh, okay, so you're bringing something valuable to the conversation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Still a gargantuan proportion, a substantial minority of summits that are focused on Africa have an impact lens of how can we impact something, not how can we build the private sector. Mm -hmm. Still the majority of conversations when we talk about Africa and Europe always have some kind of charity case or some kind of developmental angle as the first thought that people come to mind, mm. not the, oh my gosh, you know, Lagos is one of the most busy cities in the world for traffic. Yeah. Kenya or Kinshasa or Joburg are up and coming cities or Dar es Salaam looks like one of the biggest metropolises in the world. That's something that maybe geographers or economists are discussing in closed door conversations, mm. but the majority of the world, their sentiment about Africa is still very much broadly speaking negative right? mm. the average american the average european they don't really know that much because of the way that's presented and to change that i think it's too difficult to go to european media or american yeah. media and change their minds mm. you need to change the underlying context so that you cannot in any way report on you know a coup as the only thing of yeah. happening in an african country yeah uh, rather than mentioning how you have African unicorns, you have African venture capital associations, you have thousands of deals happening, you have major M&A. For example, I'm sure if we ask a random person in the UK, have you heard about anything recently in Africa? Most of them will mention, oh, Gabon, Gabon coup, yeah, or maybe yeah. Niger coup, right? Yeah. But very few of them will mention that a African AI company mm. was acquired for more than $600 million by biotech, mm. right? Whereas that's a major success story. It's huge for Tunisia. It's huge for the AI industry at large and AI coming out of Africa influencing European markets. That's mm. great, right? It suggests that Africa is starting to compete, but we're getting there. Yeah. So it's, I think narratives is almost like in my mind, narratives is the last uh, angle of what we should sort. Oof. So we should sort the underlying talent. We yeah. should sort the underlying capital. We should sort make, make sure that within the constraints of the African focused conversation, everybody knows that things are going really well and things are actually going well. Mm. And then we can kind of worry about how people perceive it abroad or what it's seen like, because I feel like trying to tackle the last point is maybe what governments care about, yeah. but it's not actually influencing directly the day to day for startups or VCs in Nigeria. Or 100%. I would know. I would. So I, I agree with what you just said. I, I, I agree with it. However, I would probably say again, let me just, give another angle on 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 narratives and i actually speak to kind of what i what i hear you saying and what i hear you saying is 100 that mustard we agree with that which is um we are we're trying to change you know obviously we do we're trying to build ventures that can turn into 
global brands that come from an African country. So, so we intentionally build it there. One of the primary markets is going to be is going to be essentially where the founders are from, and then the other primary market is going to be the US or or, or elsewhere. So, the thing is, I mean, what we see with regards to narratives, the power of it is not to yes. You know, these brands, if and when we build them, it's going to cause somebody to say something different. Oh, okay, there was Gabon, but also, have you seen the phone I'm using, which it fill in the blanks, right? However, I think for us, we think that the narratives and the stories, they're important to tell, but the, they're important to tell so that Africans or, or actors in the African space, like ourselves, can actually be, you know, have built up confidence, right? It's almost like testimonies of, because in essence, you're 100% right, I agree with what you're saying. If let's say somehow through, you know, some narrative wizardry and propaganda, we had, you know, the UK and and Japan felt or just thought, you know, all the African states are just, you know, there's just opportunity abound. We must put all of our money, divert all our money from our own countries and put it into into you know one or two or three or, or, or all fifty four African countries, right? That we might say that's a win, but the honest truth is, if if people in the startup scene or or whichever industry they invest in in Africa don't have the confidence that they can actually use that money or or, or, or go beyond, right? Then it then it's a it's a waste of time. I.e., I can tell you, Mark, you're the greatest of all time. Of course, you can build that business. Of course, you can. But if you don't believe it then it's a complete waste of time. My, my, my words are, are just water off a duck's back. So, you know, what I love about, you know, what I really like about you and what I love about this particular conversation we're having is um, you are an African optimist. You are optimistic about um, Africa v, African VC, um, where it is right now, where it can go. Um, but you are, you are also rooted in the facts and where it is at the moment and the fact that it's not yet there and that, yeah, there's there's some things that are in the media that actually aren't necessarily true. But but I feel like saying these things, but but saying these things alongside the vision, right? Um, which is what I actually think you're doing, and it's definitely what and it's definitely what we're trying to do. It's it's a positive because we're able to go, okay, where are we? Even if we're on the ground floor and we need to go to level hundred, we're on the ground floor right? But we're on our way up, right? As opposed to, no, 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 we're on, we're on level 50. We're on level 50, guys. We're on le- and we're just not, right? Um, so that's where I think narratives are important. And, and it doesn't have to be, it's not a fiction. It's not a lie. It literally is just, just storytelling information. And sometimes that storytelling is going to have, be completely rooted in fact, because it's just unequivocally true. The US, it's just the biggest US VC market. Tell narrative if you want, or otherwise, it just is the biggest. Here, we have to we have to tell stories of what the future could look like based on where we are, but they have to be, you know, credible because if not, it's just a lie and it's a propaganda. So, so I guess that you know, I, I, one, I don't know if that makes sense, and if you'd agree with that, but but yeah, I think it's it is important actually because I think there is, I think a lot of this in the media, yeah, yeah, we're rising, we're rising. I think it stems actually at times from 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 a, a a lack of confidence as opposed to a real confidence that 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 african vc is is where where it is i don't i don't know if you've got anything to say to that it's not really a question it's more like a statement of mine based on what you've said no 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 i think i agree with you in that sense so there is definitely a role for narrative building i think we're coming at it from two different angles yeah. in the sense that i think the priority for most people who are in the vc and startup space should be doing something first and then building a narrative. Yeah. Though I do agree with you that there is a certain importance of catalyzing that narrative. Yeah. I think what people have underestimated is how powerful market sentiment is and how reactive market sentiment is to the prevailing narrative. Yeah. So the Africa rising or the Africa falling narrative. Yeah. I feel the optimal scenario is that we'd have an African neutral an Africa developing mm. narrative, mm. which is not pushing people one way or the other way, but just reporting on what's going on, as you say, the facts, the projections, what might be possible, but neither trying to criticize the, sex, the failures because failures are part of a learning of process, course. but also uh, not over celebrating the success stories. 
I think um, the best example I can give of a negative example of trying to do the right thing but getting the wrong impression across. You saw some cases where deals were being celebrated by one tech publication picked up by a hundred others mm. before anyone had done diligence on whether this deal was completed. Yeah. And then if it pushes back and that deal fails, then it makes everyone look like everyone's unprofessional <laughs> and it makes it look like the industry is full of scam and fraud and yeah. everything else buying into this preconceived bias that a lot of people have abroad. So I think it's very important to have narrative building, but narrative building should be done by narrative building experts. Mm. So it shouldn't be just done by everybody, VCs going on tooting their own horn mm. or, you know, startups going and saying we're amazing. I mean, that's a large reason why you have people like Mustard or you have people in the PR space or in the media space. I just think it's very important that um, there is some kind of like calibration. Yeah. So VCs and startups know they should be focused on the building element of actually getting the work done and then leave the narrative building to somebody who understands how to build that narrative in a strategic way. Yeah, yeah, 100%, 100%. Um, let's, let's, on the way to kind of wrapping up, let, let, you tell us, obviously, you're in the, the African VC space. You're actually not just in it, you're actually analyzing it and obviously trying to set it up through, through GMVC for its current and its future. So... I guess, broadly speaking, um, and we've discussed kind of where do you see it now, but, but, but what do you think, you know, the future, short term, next year or two, and maybe slightly longer term, next five years or something, you, you decide what, you know, what fills you up with optimism, right, um, about the future of African VC? Because obviously you're dedicating your life to it at the moment. What fills you with optimism, to optimism and where do you see it in, 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 in a kind of short, maybe a medium term? I think definitely a sign of optimism for me is a certain degree of resilience. So I think resilience to me means that when somebody doesn't succeed with raising a fund, they keep trying to raise. Mm. When somebody doesn't succeed with raising money for their startup, they just keep hustling away until they do. When you see individuals who maybe plan to raise a $50 million fund, they raise a $10 million yeah. fund, but they still go with it with the aim to then maybe raise a $50 million one on the next try mm. or the try after that. So I think that signal, the fact that both on the investor side and the founder side, I see a pretty in resilient builder profile, okay. which is actually pretty impressive considering all the challenges people have to overcome. Mm. I think that definitely fills me with optimism. I think even speaking just with the dream we see hat on, what I think is very, well, honestly, awesome to see is that we're starting to see that level of grit and enthusiasm towards VC specifically stretch beyond just the big four markets. Okay. So there's a lot of uh, conversation every year around Nigeria, around Kenya, around Egypt and South Africa. And all of those markets definitely have a very important role to play. And they are some of the biggest markets for us too mm -hmm. at DreamVC because they can shape you know, what the other markets look like. I'm definitely not one of those people who say all Nigerian startups are overvalued. The ecosystem is already as mature as it can be. The US has like 7,000 fintechs. Nigeria has about 100 or 200. Okay. I don't know who's talking about oversaturation, but it's definitely nowhere near there. Mm. I, I think what we're talking about is uh, getting more investors to actually appear or more ecosystem builders to start to appear in other markets too. Mm. And you look at, for example, DreamVC applications. We run our programs every year, same time, same structure, you know, for the actual application cycle. And we're starting to see people from Burkina Faso, from okay. Tanzania, from Ethiopia, from markets that people wouldn't think of as markets with investment activity, mm. but where there are people thinking, I want to build a venture studio. I want to build an incubator. I want to build an association for investors. I want to build an angel network. Mm. So there are people taking those formative steps, even when the DFIs or the government isn't there. And that to me means that all across the continent, even in areas that are potentially more geopolitically exposed or areas with macroeconomic fluctuations, there is a lot of potential, right? Mm. I can see a scenario where maybe not all 54, but potentially 40 plus African markets attract every year a consistent amount of funding that goes towards deals. Mm. Not a case when we look at four or five success stories and the others as, oh, there was one deal yeah. in the DRC, but rather a case of like, oh, well, there's actually lots of activity everywhere. And the markets that aren't attracting deals, they aren't attracting them because they're on the way to building pipeline. Mm -hmm. They're building the startup hubs, the incubators, the accelerators. So they will be attracting deals later. Mm. So I think that's what we're building towards. And that's very evident to me just from the number of funds we're starting to see 
who are no longer just big four focused, whether domestic or international. We're seeing Egyptian funds and Moroccan funds saying, oh, we want to invest across Sub-Saharan Africa. Mm. We're seeing African funds saying, oh, North Africa is also quite interesting. We're seeing a lot of Anglophone funds, funds that have traditionally been based out of Anglophone Africa, such as, you know, Launch Africa or Lofty and Capital, Flat Six Labs and other funds from the North or South Africa, mm. um, stretching to look at Francophone African markets as well and tangibly considering, look, Ivory Coast is just as interesting of a market as Rwanda, for example. Mm. So I think that fact that people are surpassing the language barrier and surpassing the cultural barrier and thinking more within Africa is really interesting. And that's a very positive sign. Mm. Yeah, no, I, but it's just getting started. Exactly. It's just, it's, it's, yeah. Exactly. No, I agree. I, I, I think that's a good, um, and I think it speaks to what you said about professionalism and, you know, kind of inside and outside, you know, if Burkina Faso, if, if smaller markets, as you said, geopolitically sensitive or otherwise, um, even if they're not getting foreign you know, or, or significant foreign funds, if, 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 you know, internally their own domestic market is starting and actually if dream VC can be there to help the one or two, uh, people who are putting their stick in their head up initially to professionalize and take that back. I think that's, uh, that's a very important role that, that, that you guys, you and Cindy can play, I would say, and your team. Um, so look, wrapping up, tell us, um, I guess, how can we, well, first of all, um, who are you looking for to apply to DreamVC? How can they apply? And then also tell us how we can follow you as well, because I know you guys are active on socials. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the easiest answer I can give is if you are an aspire, current or aspiring venture builder, venture capitalist, or ecosystem builder, even if you don't quite know what that means, you're thinking maybe private equity, maybe venture capital, maybe something around the startup enablement side, please come to us. Firstly, we have a lot of free resources we put out. It's not very traditional for VCs to share, but we're not a traditional VC mm. either. So we put a lot of material out there so individuals can learn more. For example, we have a great podcast list that includes this one that actually tells you what podcast to follow. How can you absorb content and get an idea of what's going on on the continent all the time? We also put out example investment memos so that founders and investors alike can know what documentation goes into the investment process and lots of other things as well. So definitely come to the DreamVC website, whoever you are. And then if you're actually interested in an immersive experience where you want to learn, you're thinking, I want a structured context. I want to see a real person teaching me. I want this to be live. I don't want to just listen to a YouTube video or listen to an on-demand content. I actually want to interact with instructors and get a bespoke experience. Then look at our programs. And our programs fit at the moment for a couple of audiences, but I think the biggest advice I can give is just regularly check the website because we constantly launch new ones. Right now we have one program that's a fit for junior professionals. You want to work in VC, you want to do something in the investment space, you're really passionate about Africa, check out our launch into VC program. If you are someone a bit more senior in your career, maybe you're already managerial level, you want to launch a fund or run an accelerator studio of your own. Maybe you're inspired by Mustard, maybe you're inspired by somebody else. You want to take those steps, then you can come to the Investor Accelerator program. That's our flagship that runs for much longer. And if instead you don't quite know which one you fit into, but maybe you don't want to take a career transition into the VC or venture building space, instead you are a corporate who is interested in what we just mentioned on the potential of this whole element of corporate venturing, then give us a shout anyway. Because what we're doing is we're trying to build, as we said, all across this pipeline, some key training and capacity building interventions, both for individuals and organizations, so we can meet in the middle with an efficient private market space. And I think if DreamVC is just your enabler, your trampoline that helps you get there, that's good enough for us. I think we, we don't really care about being on the front page of the news. We care about what you are able to do with that information. So if you want to be accelerated, you want to go from point one to a hundred, then come to us and we'll help you get there faster. Yeah. No, and that's very clever, uh, Mark. You know, you don't need to be on the front page of the news, but if you know all the emerging GPs and LPs, that's a that's a that will be a powerful position to be in, I would say. So that's a very clever, very clever um, 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 place to be and, and and thing to do. Just we are going to put your socials and your website um, in the notes, but just tell us verbally what what's your social handle, what's your website, um, just in case people are listening. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm personally very boring. You can find me just at my full name at Mark Kleiner on pretty much everything. You know, yeah. Instagram, Clubhouse. So to be honest, the most active platforms I'm on are LinkedIn and Twitter. So if you have anything business related, please drop me a note on LinkedIn and Twitter. And please, if you do, let me know why you're reaching out. 
I think people often reach out to build a network, but if you don't tell me why you're reaching out, I don't know. It's very important. Secondly, if you're interested in DreamVC itself, you can just search up DreamVC in any browser and it will come up. But if you're interested in the website, it's www.dream-vc.com. We have a bridge between Dream and VC, <laughs> and that way we can bridge your career. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And you said you weren't in narratives. Um, funny. Mark, thank you. Thanks for your time, man. This has been great and very honest. So thank you. Thank you um, for that. Thanks for having me. like our content please write a review and share it with others to help us grow and to bring more interesting people on the journey with us to create brands for africa <laughs>